Welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I had the opportunity to have a short conversation with Alfie Cohn. He's a household name for many educators. Some of you may be familiar with his work. In the run-up to the interview, he did inform me that he was not a proponent of homeschooling, but we were still really interested to have a conversation. You may hear that tension in our dialogue. While Mr. Cohn and I don't agree on everything, I really think that you'll find his criticisms of the school system interesting. Many people choose to homeschool because of issues with school systems. His ideas will validate that. For many, school is not the answer. What's a summer break? I'm a homeschooler. What, I, what I'd really like to start with is talking about just generally your work and the criticism that you have um, given of the education system and the positive, negative re rewards and behaviorism um, in the classroom and progressive education. So let's start with that. What I would like to know, like, like to hear you just kind of talk about is um, what you see over the last, in the time that you've done, I mean, you've been doing, you've been doing um, criticisms of the education system for a good 25, 30 years. And so what I would like to hear from, from you is what's your most recent um, observations about the direction that public education and private education is going in the classroom setting? What do you think are the biggest issues now? Well, uh, that depends on the perspective of the person doing the observing. We all come in with our own priorities and values, and we tend to see classrooms and school policies through our respective lenses. So my my own issues that I that I have written and spoken about are as relevant today uh, as as they were when I started. Mm -hmm. Some things are seem to be getting a little better in some places with some teachers in schools and some things maybe even a little worse from the from the bird's eye view in terms of macro policy issues there is still um a concern about um an emphasis on a top-down corporate styled test driven approach to school reform mm -hmm. that has approximately the same effect on learning that a noose has on breathing um also, wow. in terms of public policy, there has been another surge as part of a right-wing authoritarian movement in this country uh, to attack public schooling itself and make yet another attempt uh, to replace democratic public schooling with vouchers, even if they don't always use the name, uh, or to promote charter schools so that funding is drained from regular public schools into schools that are sometimes run by for-profit companies. Mm -hmm. In the individual classrooms, well, I, I still ride the same hobby horses about the need to give kids more say about their learning, mm -hmm. um, to help them understand ideas deeply rather than just memorizing facts mm -hmm. um, or practicing skills, to make education more collaborative because a key element in meaningful learning is learning with and from one another, which is why in schools it's critical to have kids in pairs and small small groups a lot of the time. I, I could go on. There are the, there, There's quite a range in what we see, 
but the more progressive or student-centered approach that I've written about for so long continues to be a, a minority report uh, in, most, in most parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's. The, I would love to hear you go on about that. Um, so, if you have more to say about that, we can. I'd like to hear it. Um, but I, I want for those who are not familiar with your work, could you describe? Um, and we're gonna we're gonna put in our show notes uh, copies to all of your books or uh, links to your website and and books and articles that are there. It's it's really. Um, it's there's a large volume of free things that um, Mr. Cohn offers. Um, publicly on his website, but the, could you talk about um, behaviorism in the classroom and what you would like for parents to know and for teachers to know um, about what's damaging about that for children? Well, behaviorism derived from the work of B.F. Skinner and John Watson sees humans as being essentially like other organisms. They did most of their research on at least Skinner did, on rats and mm-hmm. pigeons, and then wrote, he wrote most of his books about people. Um, the assumption here is that we don't really initiate things. Uh, we merely respond to reinforcers or rewards in the environment, and thereby people with more power can control those with less power by dangling goodies in front of them. Mm-hmm. There's an emphasis on behavior that can be seen and measured, the stuff that's on the surface, to the exclusion of inner experience, the values and and reasons, the humanity, uh, motive mm-hmm. that underlie this. Whenever you talk about changing kids' behavior, it's time to worry, because when you frame it just in terms of the surface stuff, it's almost inevitable that the people with more power will use some combination of bribes and threats to try to change those behaviors, although we refer them by euphemisms like consequences or positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. But it's still fundamentally a model of doing to rather than working with. Coercion. And in one of my books, when one of my books, Punished by Rewards, I I show how this plays out in classrooms and in families and in workplaces. And in fact, much of what I, I mean, we we can have one conversation about, from the big picture of public policy, what we think of homeschooling versus schooling children in schools. But many of the individual issues I talk about are as relevant to homeschoolers as they are to teachers and administrators in public and private schools, because I have seen some people snatch their kids out of school, teach them at home for a variety of reasons and in a variety of ways, but sometimes they proceed to reproduce what I regard as the worst elements of traditional schooling around the dining room table, where kids are doing worksheets. Where oh my they're gosh. quizzes, <laughs> where they're being given tests or grades, yeah. where they have nothing to say about their own learning, um, and so on. It's just happening. So, so the the uh, the critique that I offer of a lot of traditional approaches to schooling also apply to homeschooling, and uh, for that matter, to how we raise children apart from their their uh, instruction. Okay, now we're getting into the meat of this. So. 
you're, I, I so agree with you because the homeschooling world is full of parents that, you know, we've, we've gone from um, one, what is it, 1.5% to 3.3% of the of school-aged children are homeschooled. And then after the pandemic, the numbers have just shot up. We've got the census, yep. um, we've got the census uh, uh, in front of us here on our uh, screen, but the, and we'll put that in the show notes to the U.S. census, but um the 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 things that you're saying about about homeschooling parents are just as uh, programmed and conditioned by the education system because the majority of parents have come from the education system and so from a very I was Josh was um, and most of the parents that are in our nonprofit are all schooled um, and so we we do have a conversation in the homeschooling community about de-schooling ourselves and having to deprogram or decondition ourselves from being compliance-based or feeling like there's a big brother looking over our shoulder saying, you know, did you test this skill? Um, can you can you can you talk about that more? Because I think homeschooling parents would really need that encouragement. Well, I'm not sure which element of what you just said you want me to, to, to talk about. The fact that homeschooling parents were themselves mm-hmm. schooled in traditional environments? Because Yeah, how do we de-school ourselves? Yeah, how do we de-school, oh, do ourselves? We de-school ourselves? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, that's, that's uh, my, my response to that is similar to uh, how I talk about parents whose kids go to regular schools how these parents can uh, educate themselves to think about what learning is like Mm -hmm. and why they should be happy if, for example, their kids aren't getting tests and grades and quizzes and homework, and if the kids have more to say about what's going on uh, and so on. And I address teachers about this, too, because most teachers were were taught Mm -hmm. in traditional classrooms. So... I think one way to come at this is to ask folks, what are your long-term goals for your children? How, how would you like them to turn out mm. years from now? What would you like them to be like? Mm. And I've done this exercise hundreds of times all over the world, and I, I get very, very similar answers regardless of where I am. People say, you know, I'd like my kid or kids to be happy, to be ethical, to be caring and compassionate, but also independent and self-motivated. I'd like my kids to be lifelong learners, creative, curious, critical thinkers. These are the things I hear over and over. And then what I do for a living is I say to people, you say you want this, so why are you doing that? Because here's the research showing that a lot of traditional practices, both in raising and in teaching kids, are actually likely to undermine our own long-term goals for kids. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we say you want kids to be uh, caring, uh, generous people. Here's the research showing that when you use rewards with kids, like stickers or gold stars or, or special edible treats, or praise, good job, I really like the way you... This is really just a kind of verbal doggy biscuit. And the research finds that kids who are, who are manipulated with, with uh, rewards and praise are less generous, more self-centered than Mm -hmm. their peers. That's just one example. I mean, another one is you say you want your, 
your kids to be lifelong learners, well, I share that goal. First of all, I think curiosity is something in its own right that's valuable. That's my value judgment. Mm -hmm. And secondly, deep thinking and high-quality intellectual pursuits tend to follow mostly from people who are interested in the learning itself. So here's the research showing that when kids just have to cram forgettable facts into short-term memory or try to get a better grade, they become less excited about whatever they're doing and about learning itself. So you have to pick. Either you go with the traditional practice that you were raised and taught with, or you, you are serious when you talked about those long-term goals for your kids, and you have to be willing to gulp and say, we have to rethink what it is we're doing in order to meet those goals. And that's one way in to help, I guess, goose people, to help invite them mm -hmm. to, to rethink the way they were taught and raised um, and to say, I, I, clearly, I have to learn more. So instead of saying, well, that sounds nice in theory, people who say that, by the way, don't even like the theory, I find, um, <laughs> or, or, or instead of saying, you know, uh, that's unrealistic, here, given all these reasons, which are really just fancy ways of people clapping their hands over their ears and going, la, 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 la. It's just too, un too, too unsettling, even terrifying <laughs> to consider it. But for people who say, wow, that makes sense, but I don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. As a teacher, as a as a homeschooler, how how do you how do you get kids excited about math? How do you not kill their curiosity and provide the support that they need to start thinking in increasingly complicated ways about mm -hmm. answers to their own questions? Mm -hmm. How do you help them to become excited readers without you know? becoming a phonics fanatic and killing the joy killing as well as joy. undermining the, the, the quality of comprehension. Well, those are reasonable questions when you didn't, you don't have any background in how to, how to be uh, a progressive, thoughtful, serious educator. Fortunately, there's loads of resources to mm -hmm. answer those and the other questions, but you have to start by asking those questions instead of waving them away and just uh, doing unto your kids what was done unto you. Mm -hmm. We've had some other conversations with um, with on some of our other episodes with other other uh, professionals, and one of them one of them talks about that very same thing that you're 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 describing as um, you know don't over teach. Don't, you know, just ask, if there's curiosity, just sit with the curiosity. If there's a question, answer just that question. Don't look for a chance to create a lesson plan out of a single curiosity. Let them pace themselves and slow down and enjoy the bee or enjoy the, um, the measuring cups in the kitchen and teach them fractions as they learn how to cook, that kind of thing, um, and allow the human brain to do what it does naturally and adapt and grow and scaffold new information in the environment. Um, and then the learning will, the, 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 the checking the list will come. Um, well, I'm not sure I agree with that entirely. Being responsive to kids' interests and the pace at which they're able to work, uh, or better yet learn, which isn't the same as working, uh, does make sense to me. 
But I don't make common cause with people who have a more sit back and let the kids do what they want and wait for them to ask a question and do 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 no more than absolutely necessary. Uh, that's the art of teaching. Um, of supporting learning is knowing when to stick your oar in the water and how to artfully complicate kids' thinking rather than just simply answering their own question and letting them always set the guide. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not somebody uh, I mean I know how this works. I have spoken at conferences for unschoolers and mm -hmm. follow those newsletters. Yeah. Yeah. I have visited so called free or democratic schools. Mm -hmm. That I have some things in common with them, which mm -hmm. are mostly a critique of bad authoritarian traditional practices. Okay. But I think many of these folks have given up some of the good stuff along with the bad stuff. I come from the tradition of progressive education that goes back to people like John Dewey and Jean Piaget and mm -hmm. Jerry mm -hmm. Bruner and others, which in, is much harder to do than the sort of minimalist, hands-off approach you were describing on the one hand, and is also a lot harder to do than the traditional approach where you just give kids a worksheet or a textbook or something. Right. Okay, Knowing so you would modify something in between unschooling and and traditional schooling. You would, you would want to find some sort of a balance where there's... Well, Go ahead. Not exactly a balance. It's not a, a, an intermediate point on a single continuum. Mm -hmm. Like, rather than black and white, I want gray. It's more like, rather than black and white, I want orange. You know, it's, it's, it's a third discrete con concept of teaching and learning that is, that is qualitatively distinct from either of those. Um, uh, not a linear continuum. Uh, that's right. That's, okay. That's right. And I discuss issue, uh, some of these these issues and what it means to support that kind of deep learning, which requires a very skilled and active role on the part of the adult, but very different that role is from the traditional one. So I discussed this in a number of articles and blog posts on my website, but most comprehensively in a book I wrote called The Schools Our Children Deserve. Mm -hmm. which I hope will offer some ideas that will be useful for homeschooling parents, too. Okay, yeah. So uh, speaking of this orange, can you describe, I know that you you have shared with us that, you know, you, you really are a proponent of um, reshaping the education system in a progressive way. But yeah. since our audience is going to be mostly homeschoolers, can you describe what that orange might look like in the context of a home? Uh, well, it involves starting with the kids' own questions, um, but then, as I say, complicating them. So there's sort of a back-and-forth movement, like you imagine a, a ball that's being mm -hmm. tossed back and forth between mm -hmm. where the child starts by saying, I don't know, where the, here comes the garbage truck again. Where does all that garbage go? I'm just making this up. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, you know, depending on the level of the kid's interest and developmental capabilities, age and so on, maybe this becomes a project to figure out what happens to trash. And it becomes an interdisciplinary exploration that involves 
the science of decomposition, yeah. the, the social studies of, of looking at uh, local government and, and um, uh, the, the math of, of, uh, of recycling. Um, oh, I love it. And, and language arts and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, kids are not going to come up with all those avenues of exploration on their own usually. That's where there has to be this active back and forth. And each time the kid thinks, okay, now I get it, you know to just ask the right question or maybe suggest a reading that will make the kid go, huh, maybe it's a little more complicated than I thought. Now I need to know more about this. Mm -hmm. And whenever it's possible to put a bunch of homeschooling kids together, I can't emphasize this too strongly. What we know about the science of learning suggests that it's really hard to become more competent thinkers without bouncing ideas off of peers and having a, a, I mean, some people think the critique of homeschooling that's sometimes offered is purely a social one, that that kids need to be around other kids because they need the social stimulation and to which their answer is, first of all, the kind of social stimulation they're getting in a lot of schools is not all that pleasant. Uh, or second, yeah, but my kid's doing all these extracurriculars uh, with other kids, so it's not like she's all completely isolated. Sure. But I'm making a different argument, which is that intellectual sophistication requires a continuous collaborative process with other kids who are gently challenging and expanding your own thinking so you're learning with them. Mm-hmm. And under the watchful eye of an adult who helps all the kids to be, first of all, doing this in a way that is caring and productive, and secondly, helping to think about the pedagogy and the curriculum that all the kids are involved with. Hmm. So uh, I think uh, you're you're hitting on something really important, and I I, I want to be respectful of your time, um, but it, you're right that the the socialization question comes up all the time and that those are the the couple of responses that most homeschoolers will give is my child is out in the world socializing with everyone of all ages and um, participating in society not just with one group of children from x date to x date that were you know their birth dates of birth um but but I think the point that you're making is that there needs to be um, the there needs to be the vicarious learning across um, the social spectrum of that by that, that Vygotsky talks about um, of you know watching a child in parallel play watching one child. Uh, one child watching another child play with a toy this way and and maybe mimicking and then taking it a next, the next step. And then they sort of bounce the ball, as you said earlier, bounce the ball back and forth. Um, and homeschoolers, I think, do that by going out on field trips. And I mean, I know our our group, we, we do farm trips and we 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 have our kids have online servers where they build things together and they they might copy monuments or they might watch videos together so i think i think it really depends on the parents to get their children into some sort of a, a an organization and one of the things i've i've heard you say in some other podcasts as, as i was just trying to absorb everything about you is that um 
you know, your experience of homeschoolers is that they're, they're three-fourths or two-thirds um, religiously driven. Um, and our organization is actually a movement ag against that. It's a, it's a secular organization um, th that we hope can advocate for creating these sorts of Vygotsky-esque, um, I don't know if that's even a word, <laughs> but these sorts uh -huh. of like, you know, um, um, multi, multi-age classroom sort of settings, but they're out in the world or in each other's homes, that kind of thing. Um, uh -huh. and, you know, and we have, and we have these things called social pods where we put the kids together and just let them play, um, and trust the kids to, you know, that, that play will, play will bring curiosity and curiosity will bring learning and it doesn't even have to be a curriculum. Um, but, but yeah, that's the last part is what I was kind of gently pushing back on before that I'm a big believer in, in play, you know, uh, throughout one's life, but saying leave kids to play and it's like leaving an acorn, it will grow into an oak on its own. And that is not a progressive vision. Hmm. And it's not just watching other kids play, you learn how to manipulate the ball, literally the ball. I'm What I was talking about a few minutes ago was more like kids needing to be together, reading books together and saying, why did you think the character in that book was selfish? I didn't think so, because look on page 87, she says, or you you thought that's the reason dinosaurs became extinct? But I heard, let's go look it up. And there's an intellectual depth to what's going on. It's much more interesting when it's student-driven and project-based, of course, but it goes, learning is not work. I don't like that that metaphor, what mm. adults do in factories and offices as the model for understanding learning. But learning is not just play either. Um, although it can sometimes follow play, um, and sometimes there's room for just play period, regardless of it, whether it produces learning, because we all need play time. But it's important not to reduce learning to play any more than we reduce it to work. And it's important, just as it's important to criticize or at least look for the, the limitations of a purely self-directed or child-centered approach. Because uh, in addition to other concerns that I have about how a progressive vision is more likely to lead to a uh, a more richly textured understanding of, of more and more complicated ideas. There's also something that's paradoxically conservative about a hands-off, let them play, they'll learn on their own, we'll be here as a resource vision, which is that um, we live in a culture and kids absorb aspects of this culture um, that Somebody interested in social change and justice will need to actively challenge and help kids to identify and transcend. Competition is one example of that. When you turn on a TV or you drive by a field in the, in the weekend, all you see are people playing games that are really about triumph. We have to beat them. So if you do a hands-off vision of kids raised in this culture and let them play as they see fit, they haven't been exposed to the beauty of non-competitive ways of 
organizing recreation. Mm. They will reproduce the competition that is toxic and that is endemic in our society if left to their own devices. So a hands-off vision ends up being kind of conservative and reproducing the society we have. More adult active involvement is required to help expose kids to other possibilities and offer a critique and a moving beyond what our society is to helpfully make it better. Hmm. This is all really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, I I, I want to. We're right at thirty minutes, um, yes. Mr. Cohn. I want to make sure that we're respectful of your time. Um, do you mind if I ask Maybe you? Maybe we ought to go ahead. Yeah, one more. Sure. Do well, let's make this the last. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Um. I would love to know what you thought. What you were going to say. Um. I was going to ask you, so my specialization, and we're, I'm not, we're, we'll cut this part out, but um, my, my um, professional life is I'm a, I'm a professional counselor and I specialize in attachment therapies. Um, and so what I wonder is, can you talk about um, the attachment relationship between parents and children and um teachers and um, and what happens. I think a lot of homeschoolers are driven by um, a desire to stay connected to their children and to be part of the learning process rather than giving, giving the learning process over to a system. Do you have any thoughts about attachment relationships and the, um, the learning process and play and dopamine reward systems and things like that that happen in the home around learning? There's not really a specific oh, question. I that think I that's too, too broad, given it's too... actually several questions, each of which would take a, <laughs> okay. a long time to do justice to. <laughs> okay. I think maybe I better skip over that, except to say very briefly, um, there are parents in our society who are have been made fearful of being too involved with their kids, of doing helicopter parenting and so on to the point that, that they um, may, may not be supportive enough of their kids when their kids need it. But mm. there are other parents who are a little too involved um, in every aspect of their kids' learning and growth. And that's not always what kids need. And so for me, the relevant question about parental involvement and where attachment shades into enmeshment is not just how involved the parents are with the kids' lives, but why they're doing it. And I think a lot of, every, every parent claims to be doing what they do for the kids' own sake. Mm. But sometimes the parents are, want to be involved with, with everything that the kids do, their learning as well as every, their play and so on, mm. because it meets the parents' need for that connection. Mm -hmm. And whenever that's the driving force, it's not really going to play out well with the kid. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. I, I, that was, that was the sort of thing I was hoping you might touch on just a tad. I know that that's a huge, uh, of course, it's a huge um, ask. So do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with the homeschooling community about the the future of our country after pandemic, anything like that? Uh, Again, too 
too broad to get my arms around. No, yep. I think I've I've said my piece. Okay. So I hope there's something useful, and for people who want more, there's a lot a lot of resources on my website. Yes, absolutely. Well, we we're going to be pointing people to your website, and I'm really grateful for the time that you spent with us. There's so much meaty stuff in everything that you have to say, um, especially there's a. Um, there's a video of of uh, Mr. Cohn doing uh, his unconditional parenting uh, seminar, and it's particularly good. I would recommend it to anybody that's looking for something that's just a, a very first um, first dose of Mr. Cohn's work. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your interest. Yeah. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. This podcast is produced by anyscores.com.